and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Here's what's to come. Television presenter June Sarpong starts off the show with a brand new revised book, The Power of Women. We've got best-selling crime writer Karen Slaughter sharing her brand new thriller, False Witness. Comedian and children's author David Walliams is back with another brand new children's book, Mega Monster, which is out now. And singer-songwriter Jack Savaretti celebrates his brand new album, Europeana. But before all that, here's Maria. Good morning, Mr. Graham Norton. How the devil are you? I'm grand. I'm grand, as they say. Yes, actually, I am. I'm very well. Yes. You know, I've had had my back problems, but I saw a physio this week and he he did wonders with me. Yeah. We are very crocky, aren't we, these days with our back problems and our knee problems. <laughs> and also the minute and also the minute the minute my back didn't hurt, my elbow very owie. <laughs> oh, like... for goodness sake, stop now. But no, because it's like it's like your body just focuses on one thing at a time. Kind of like, oh okay, back's not hurting. Okay, let's focus on that terrible elbow. But anyway, so falling apart slowly, but look, I'm I'm here, I'm chatting, I'm fine. Yes, you're grand, you're grand. My circadian rhythms have been slightly out of whack, Graham, this oh, week. No. You know what they are? Well, you know, because it's it's light at 4.30 in the morning. I suppose, actually, the circadian rhythms are meant for, you know, you should go to bed when the sun sets and get up when the sun rises, which is at 4.31. So this week you found me um, sanding my walls and painting them a, a sort of racing green. <laughs> <laughs> Racing green? That's quite dark, isn't it, racing green? No, maybe it's not quite right, racing green. I'm making a mistake. It's maybe Kelly green. Did you go for Kelly green? I do know. I can't remember what it's called. I've been up since 4.30. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, I, if you go to bed, if you go to bed when the sun sets, that's about half 11. I mean, it's so light out at late at night. It's crazy. Are you living Norway? <laughs> <laughs> No, it's very no. We, you know, we're very late. Late at night. It, well, mind you, this week About we did 10, have. I think we had the beautiful moon. You posted <gasps> pictures of your moon. The moon, moon. Yes, nothing's nothing's more fascinating than someone taking pictures of the moon. <laughs> well, I know normally they don't come out very well, and this one was only because there was a lovely reflection on the sea. That was really. I mean, the moon just looks like a pinhead on most photographs taken with a phone. Yeah. Um, you've got to have a, you know, you've got to have a telescope and a proper thing. Graham, I had last night in my room with the moon um, a very big moth. Ah, oh, I can cope with spiders and ants and all of those things, but moths, furriness touching my cheek oh no that puts my teeth on edge it's like teeth down a blackboard i battled with that moth for several hours now and how is dolly with moth dolly is maria's dog if you didn't yeah but uh, no she doesn't moth is a moth is a moth she's not bothered at all oh really doing what yeah but it's felt like a big one i mean i posted a very big one on twitter but it wasn't that big it wasn't the death moth or whatever that is it wasn't the one but, from dr doolittle that he flies away on no no it wasn't <laughs> as big as that but it felt like it and i didn't want to kill the moth obviously because you no. know all god's creatures yes because you're a lovely person uh, well, and then in the end, what I did, Graham, I thought this was ingenious because obviously light, light, I had to put the light on, see the moth, moth then wants to go to light. I put a towel over the moth. I thought, well, you'll be there until the morning and then I'll set you free and you can find another light. But then in the morning, the moth was gone. Dun, dun, dun. Where is it? Was there a big hole in the towel? 
<laughs> I believe, famously, moths are quite hungry and like material. No, I, it wasn't one of those moths. It was a, you know, a flappy light moth rather than a closed yum-yum moth. Is there a difference? I'm very good at my technical terms, aren't I? Yeah, I didn't know there was a difference. I thought all mo- a moth was a moth. A moth well, flappy, you know flappy at light. I feel we're going to find out. But my view is that little clothes moths are different to the big flappy, flappy moths. Similar to butterflies in many ways. But, well, except butterflies don't eat your jumpers. No, they don't, and neither do the bees. I nearly spat my coffee out there. (laughs) (laughs) Blimmin' butterflies eating my jumpers. No, I don't think they do. But I feel sure that there's an etymologist. Is that the right term? Entomologist? Um, Somebody who knows about... Geologist? uh, Biologist? (laughs) Geology is rock. Biology is body. Like Maureen Lippman in the BT ad. Anology! He's got anology! (laughs) (laughs) But, um... Anyway, so my sleep patterns, my painting, maybe it was the painting that attracted people to the moth. Maybe it thought, I don't like that colour green. What is she doing? I must wake well, her no, up. Well, no, probably now you've painted it green, all God's creatures will be in. They'll think, they'll think, <laughs> they'll they'll think, think it's a lovely the bank. Yeah, it's, a, it's like hedgerow. <laughs> what was I thinking, Graham? Oh, dear. I'm kind of exhausted. I've been a uh, punch drunk. I've been promoting. My my last book came out in America this um, I this week. I know. It's very good that you've got So I've been doing lots of Zoom. I've been doing lots of Zooming and, uh, you know, podcasting and things in America to tell, to, to alert American readers to the, the book. And I did this one show uh, yeah. in LA called The Talk. And it's kind of like, I think it's like Loose Women. Is it but, all women presenting it? Well, it normally, but there were two men on when I did oh, it. There were no. guests, there were guest hosts and things. Okay, but they did the. I think I have never encountered on a show before, where yes. at the end of every answer, they all applauded. <laughs> Oh no, that's very American. No, but it wasn't though. It wasn't. It felt like it felt like I was on a different planet. It just didn't fit in with anything I've ever done. Well, you know, it felt like I was on an Italian show where I didn't understand the rules. They, I would, I would, you know, just they'd ask me a question, I'd answer it, and then you'd go, "Yay! Well, yeah, right, yeah." What's that about? Very so. Hot. What's your favourite colour? Blue. Hooray! That, honest, seriously, that that was the level of it. <laughs> was it just? The, was it the panel that were applauding, or the audience? As no, well? there was no audience. So I think maybe if there was an audience, they'd have applauded. But why would they applaud? I don't know. Because they're told to. Because it keeps the energy up. <laughs> I mean, I expect really that there should be some fake applause whenever I say anything. Hooray! On the Hooray! Uh, well, I'll go and rustle that up in the sound archive. Could you? Have you got that on one of your buttons? I'm, I must. Uh, actually, I must have it here somewhere. But, uh, you know, listen, I've already messed up my, my music today, so I've, I'm feeling very unconfident I with the old... I'd to hear get Gwen Stefani, if only I could say it. Was oh. it Gwen Stefani that you played? No, it wasn't. We played uh, Catatonia. Instead of Catatonia. No, yeah, we like in, that. We like Keris. We like um, We like the, that fiesta. Yes, was and then you played them later, so I did. all was well. Virgin Radio. Here we are, dear Graham and Maria. I have been seeing this guy for about five months now. It's been going really well, and he has even met my friends, which went extremely well. We spend a lot of time together during the weekends and occasionally the weekdays. And of course, there have been some hiccups along the way, but there seems to be one looming issue, dot, 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 dot. When is the right time to ask him to be my boyfriend? Question mark. We are both not seeing anyone else, and we spoke about taking it slowly a few months ago. But with it now being five months since we first met, I feel like it's getting on a bit. 
He is showing no signs of dropping or dropping any hints of asking me to be his girlfriend. Shall I get up the courage and ask him myself, wait it out until he brings it up, or get rid of him as I am wanting to settle down with someone now in life and I have no time for games? Please help. And that is from Lucy in Ipswich. Well, Lucy in Ipswich, five months is quite a long time. Um, I would say you are going out and you are his girlfriend. Are these little, this little phrase very important to you? Because, you know, it seems a little outmoded to say, are you officially my boyfriend? Are you officially my girlfriend? When you're having a nice time, you're seeing each other, you're spending lots of time together. Um, what are you talking about if this is a looming issue? How is it not reared its ugly head in joke or seriousness? I would just say you're having a nice time, Lucy and Ipswich, and just carry on doing that. This is unnecessary to have it, you know, formally acknowledged by a solicitor. What do you think, Graham? Well, I, it, this sounds to me, Maria, like dating's changed since our day. Oh, do um, you think? I oh, think this might. Goodness. I think this might be a new thing. Where because because there are so many fish in the sea now. Because you know, I think I think this is a kind of um, are we shutting our apps sort of conversation. Oh, I okay, th- yeah. Are we leaving Tinder, Bumble? Yes. Blah, are blah, we? Blah, are, so is this it? You know, are we? with each other now because you know so if the initial conversation was we're taking it slow so as in you know let's not put all our eggs in this particular basket um, then I think I, I understand why Lucy is now thinking hang on what's going on here so I understand why she wants some certainty but I think that the thing is Lucy to you know Take it lightly. Don't turn it into a big, you know, commitment ceremony where, you know, there's a, a, a dog with roses in his hair. Uh, just uh, say, you know, you're my boyfriend, right? That's, you know, just, you know, you're walking somewhere, you're about to go to a bar. So, you know, just so I know, if I introduce you to my friends, am I introducing you as my boyfriend? What's the story? You know, that kind of, yeah, I mean, there what must about be a Ra- way. There must be a way around this conversation where you don't have to sit down and kind of go, I, Lucy of Ipswich, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, yes. What about rather than saying those ter- that w- those words, which sounds needy in itself somehow, Graham? I mean, if somebody said that to me, I'd be going, go oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> just, what about just saying, planning something maybe in the future, saying, look, I think I might get tickets for name of band you both like in November. Uh, are you up for that? And see what he says. Well, you know, we're taking it slow. We'll, uh, that will be the answer for you. There. No, because no, because he'll want to go to that. I think you'd, what you'd have to say is, oh, I've had an invitation. It says it says I can bring my boyfriend. Uh, could I bring you? Okay, that's better. That's better. Yeah, and he'll just go. Sure, yeah, whatever. It's just a word, isn't it? And yeah. then you'll be none the wiser. Yeah, I'm, don't. Yeah, I'm I one think- of your boyfriends. Yeah, I think really because there's, um, you know, she doesn't want to hang around. She doesn't want to play games. She's up for, you know, a, a, a serious thing. She wants to settle down. This is not good that you want to kind of, you know, show him wedding venues and dresses, etc. No, no, I don't. I don't think she wants that. I just think she wants to know: Are the apps shut? Are we? Are we an item now? Are we fully committed to each other as boyfriend and girlfriend? Like in the olden days. But in the olden days... But don't tell me Lucy hasn't checked him out on every single dating app there is to find his profile, because that's what people do. But then she's on the dating apps. Well, how do we know that? 
Because oh, no, she's, 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 she's on there looking for him. him but she's looking for him. She hasn't got a profile, is what I'm saying, unless they met on a dating app. Oh, it's so complicated, modern life, Graham. Yes, which is why Lucy's trying to simplify it. Lucy's just trying to simplify her life. And I think that's not... I mean, because when you first read this letter, I thought, what? But actually, the more you think about it, the more you think about modern dating, I do understand the need to be clear so that you but don't... it's five months. They spend most of the weekends together and weekdays uh, you know he'd have to be very kind of enthusiastic to cram somebody else in but well, I mean I just think those that term are we actually official now or it just it's kind of awkward isn't it well I, that's what I mean you keep it light I think it's just a little casual sentence as you're walking along you're in the back of a cab going you're my boyfriend right you know just like or you know you're, you're not on any apps right you know just that sort of thing yeah but even that sounds kind of needy but, I mean no, I know I, you're, trying I think, to, you're trying to make it jokey but, yes and um, also and also you don't want to sit down and have a big serious conversation but at the same time I think Lucy does want an answer to that question and I don't think it's unfair to ask it yeah and no and so here's the thing as well Lucy you're waiting for him to uh, ask you that question maybe he's waiting for you maybe there's caution on both sides so someone's got to step up to the proverbial plate and just say are we kind of like exclusive now is that a good one to say oh, exclusive oh, no Lucy Lucy could go to Facebook and uh, say in a relationship yeah that's like getting married that's huge. <laughs> Massive. My favourite responses today. Ooh, the excitement. You get a trio of Waitrose chocolate bars encased in the Fairtrade Foundation Dark Milk Chocolate. You get a Waitrose milk chocolate with butterscotch, milk chocolate with hazelnut praline, and dark chocolate with salted caramel. Ooh, delicious. Okay, uh, Boyd from Belfast. My advice to Lucy would be to tell him they've been invited out and ask him an open question like, how would you like me to introduce you? If he says... Hopefully as your boyfriend. Then happy days. If he says, oh, just a friend, then she'll know it's going nowhere. I'm not sure Lucy and her friend get invited to things like that, but you never know. Maybe they do. Michael from Gravesend says, Lucy and Ipswich, who actually asked someone to be their girlfriend, boyfriend anymore? It sounds like you're in a relationship to me. Well, Michael's happy. Michael's content. Mary from Barnet, how old are you? Just go with the flow. All right. Matt from Northern Ireland, just ask. If he doesn't want to be, then fair enough, he doesn't. Dump him and move on and get a new boyfriend. He is a guy who probably thinks you are going out already. Just take control. <gasps> like Matt, just take control. Uh, Marcella, or is it Marcella, in Bournemouth. I would have to disagree with Maria here. Ooh, the fight and talk. I think Lucy should ask directly. Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? And then she would know straight away where they are. She can then decide if she wants to move on or stay with him. Doesn't sound needy at all, just direct and honest. Billy is in Dunstable. Uh, the best thing Lucy can do is buy his and hers dressing gowns for them both. If he ghosts her after that, he's obviously not the one. Oh, Billy, I think if you're old enough to be... <laughs> if you're at the age where you're thinking, are we boyfriend and girlfriend? If somebody buys you a dressing gown, <laughs> it really is over. Uh, Jane from Liverpool. If after five months, Lucy doesn't feel comfortable asking him if they are now officially boyfriend and girlfriend, or even really needs to ask, then maybe they aren't as close as she thinks. After five months, you should be able to ask each other pretty much anything. Wise words from Jane from Liverpool. You are getting the trio of Waitrose chocolate bars. There you go. Congratulations. Graham's guy.
Okay, add another letter, please. Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, I am currently working in a marketing job, which I thought was going to be my dream job. But now I don't think it's for me anymore. I started off working five days a week with only a small pool of clients and I'm now working seven days a week with a long list of clients and I have little to no time for a social life. I am severely underpaid when compared to my other peers in the workplace and industry and feel like my time and effort is being taken for granted. I have expressed how I feel to my manager, but they have not been any help with my situation whatsoever. I really enjoy the job, but I don't know how long I can keep working like this. Do you think I should quit and find another job or wait it out in hopes of my efforts being recognised and my current workplace valuing my worth? Any advice would be appreciated. And that is from Chris in London. Oh, Chris in London, I feel your pain. But also what you did here was that you have proved yourself to be capable of coping with more clients, even if it's taking you seven days a week. So it's a little bit like a pit pony. You keep piling on the bags of coal until um, it dies. Um, no, until it can't cope anymore. So no, you nice have... timely reference. That's very good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our, our demographic will love that. A pit what? <laughs> coal. What coal? Was, what was my coal? Miss Harrison response to the first problem? I don't know what modern dating is anymore. I'm sitting here in my wedding dress. Um, but no, Chris in London. Uh, sorry, yes. Um, you have you have shown yourself to be capable, and this is good. I'm slightly annoyed with your manager because you have done the right thing and said, I can't really cope with this anymore, and I don't think I'm being paid enough or valued enough, which is which is more important to you. You like this job. This is the problem. You like it, so you have done your best at it, and your best at it has been slightly too good. Now, I don't want anybody to think that you shouldn't try your best and you shouldn't, you know, enjoy your work, but it's difficult to now reel that back in and say, I actually want to go back to my five days a week and only four or five clients. So I think you should commit this in writing to your manager, how you're feeling. Say, I really enjoy the job, but I don't know how long I can keep working like this. It's slightly too much for me. And I am at a loss as to what to do because I want to have a social life. Life is short, etc., etc. And hopefully, I mean, I can't understand why they have not been any help other than they're just happy that you're doing possibly the work of two people. So... This is something that you need to ask yourself. Have you tried to impress too much and now you're resenting it? Because that's a problem, obviously, because you can't you don't want to work in a place where you feel resentful towards towards your superiors or your colleagues. Uh, I would stick at the job if I were you um, because you're clearly good at it. And this is and you enjoy it. And these things are important in life. But just try and cut the hours down and negotiate with your manager, either for some more money or to get someone, an assistant, perhaps on board, which they don't want to pay for. But they are. What do you think, Graham? Well, I think these are not good employers. They are taking advantage of Chris. But Chris has allowed himself to be taken advantage of. And That's that what is I mean. and but that happens early on in a job because you want to prove yourself. You want to be. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Come in on a Saturday, of course. Sunday, yes, I'm on the phones, don't worry about it. But now you've done that, you're the guy who works seven days a week and, uh, oh, Chris will do it. 
And that's the problem. And I th- I think you, you've, you've said it to your manager, now there needs to be some sort of ultimatum, kind of going, look, I want to get back to uh, some sort of life-work balance. I want to work five days a week, maybe six, but certainly I need a day off. Um, and give them a month or something. Say, and in that time, Chris, I would be looking for another job. Marketing if you're good at marketing, and clearly you are, you will get a job. And, uh, and if you work for a better company, you will be properly rewarded for that. Um, because this, I mean, this is a great first job, it seems to me. You've had, you've been really challenged, you've been really pushed, and you've proved yourself. But this isn't the company for you. It doesn't sound like the company for anybody. But uh, so I would, I would start putting things in place now. Start looking, start applying. Don't quit yet uh you know make sure you've got something in place before you go but yes, this ca- this can't continue and it sounds like these people are never going to take you seriously now because you're that guy you're the guy who'll do anything it is impossible to reverse the situation but i do think that perhaps if you if you you know if you're serious about it you actually put in your letter i will have to think about my future uh, because i can't go on like this and and Graham, I think you're absolutely right to be sort of subtly looking for other places. But I would just say, Chris, it doesn't sound like you've been in this particular job very long. So think about your CV as well. With your next job, they're going to say, why did you quit? Well, because there was too much work. That doesn't sound good. So, you know, bear that in mind, how it looks for future employers, how you're feeling now. And they don't want somebody who isn't prepared to put in the work, but you will have to learn a lesson from this and maybe start off next time with less gusto, perhaps. That was so, so beautiful, Maria. I, I felt I it needed some, some applause. applause. <laughs> I, I thought it was raining there for a moment. <laughs> What should he do, essentially? People who know, because Maria and I didn't, uh, have been in touch. Uh, Russell uh, is in Portsmouth. Oh, by the way, my, the favourite advice today uh, that I that I give out is uh, getting a trio of Waitrose chocolate bars. Uh, there's milk chocolate with butterscotch, milk chocolate with hazelnut praline, or dark chocolate with salted caramel. Uh, Russell in Portsmouth. Uh, Chris shouldn't give up on working in marketing. Uh, If he worked for a different company, he might be appreciated more. He could always start his own marketing company and take his clients with him. Well, I like how Russell has taken this problem and just gone, whoa, world's your oyster, sir. Chris is in Bourne. Oh, I wonder if he'll get the chocolate. Chris in London needs to seek... Speak to whoever is above their manager if they can't help. Unfortunately, people will assume you're doing fine if work is still getting done. So escalate that problem. Lay out the amount of work you do and its value to the company. If they still don't listen to you, you need to find another job. Too right. Uh, Joy is in Kent. Chris, take a holiday, a few days off. I've always found that it's the best way to make any big life changes and decisions. A lot of people get fired on their holidays too. Uh, Keith from Long Eaton. Chris, you've done a great job to increase your client base and workload. Speak again to your manager about the point at which your client base can be split between you and possibly a new recruit. You could ask if they would prefer you to take your workload elsewhere. Fight and talk. Fight and talk from Keith from Long Eaton. Uh, Catherine is in Oxfordshire. Oh, now, listen to this. Chris needs to document every 15 minutes of his day to prove that he is not wasting time. 
Well, that already sounds like a waste of time, Catherine, but no, go on. Then he must go to HR with a journal of all he has achieved over and above his original five clients. He must emphasise that this extra workload is affecting his mental health and what uh, what are the company going to do about it? Yeah, what are the company going to do about it? Um, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I think I'm going to give, you know, weirdly, I am going to give the trio of chocolate bars to Chris in Bourne, uh, the guy who just basically said about escalating the problem and you've got to, you know, go above the person who isn't helping you. Okay? The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my first guest of the day. Unbelievably, uh, this woman has had a 25-year career in the media as a presenter, as a writer. She's now Director of Creative Diversity at the BBC and she's just reissued her book, The Power of Women. June Sarpong joins us. Hello, June. Hi, Graham. How are you, my lovely? I'm very well. Where did 25 years go? You're like the I new know. girl. You're the new girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite scary where 25 years goes. And the terrible thing is you actually remember it all, too. <laughs> you do, you do. And bits of it, bits of it. Not, I mean, because you're, so we, we're, we're obviously we're talking about the power of women, but you are, mm. you've got a memoir coming out. Is it next year or this year? Well, it's supposed to be next year, but... Yeah. <laughs> You're busy. You're busy. To write it. Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> exactly. typing slowly. Pacing yeah, yourself. typing very slowly uh, to my publisher's um, uh, fear. <laughs> so the power of women, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's such a positive title, the power of women, and all the, the, the chapter headings begin with the power of the power of the power. Of, but actually a lot of it is to do with kind of the potential for power. Yes. A lot of it is yes. about the fact that, that actually women are without power in lots of situations yes. and how you can exactly. get that. Talk to, yeah. talk to us about that. Yeah, 100%, Graham. And, and it's really about what happens when we unlock that potential. And that, that's something that in the end is good for everyone, not just women. And something that men shouldn't be frightened of. That, but that actually what it does is it raises the standards for everyone. So completely. Because it is nuts when you think about where women's rights are. Yeah. <laughs> Given that it's it's not like a minority thing. It's not like no. some sort of like like some like niche interest group. It's half exactly. the world. There you go. It's half the world, and 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 the vehicle with which we we come through in terms of life. So it's it's insane. But yeah, unfortunately, it's true. But that said, you know, when you sort of look at it on a more sort of micro level, a lot of progress has been made. You know, I just look at my own life. What's possible for me certainly wasn't possible for my mother. And I think that's the case for most women. So sometimes, even though, of course, we do focus on all of the problems, we mustn't forget the progress that has been made too. Yeah, I think, the, isn't the danger though, that people look at someone like you and think, oh, where's the problem? You know, June worked hard. She got there. Why? You know, so uh, we're, we're all fine. We don't need to worry. Yeah. And I think that, that that actually kind of isn't the point, because what I always say is when you look at any um, underrepresented groups, whenever you have an outlier, somebody that's done well in spite of, there's always a reason. There's always an intervention. In my case, I got work experience at KISS FM at 16. I didn't know anyone in our industry. And if that hadn't happened, there's no way I'd be doing what I was doing. I didn't have the networks. 
So I think whenever you see somebody that's bucking the trend, they didn't just get there. There's a reason as to why they are there. And I think that's what we need to do more of. We need to explore those reasons why people from disenfranchised groups succeed and therefore do more of that for the rest of those groups. And it's interesting in the book because, you know, we look at you and we kind of think, oh, well, you're at the top of your game. You know, you you know what you're doing. You're very confident. Oh, no, uh, no. <laughs> but 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 in the book, yeah, you talk about that how you also suffer from kind of imposter syndrome. Yeah, all the time. I don't think it ever leaves you, Graham. I just think we've been conditioned, particularly women, uh, to to think that way. And and so for me and my friends, we nicknamed ours. So in the way that Beyonce's got Sasha fears as a confident <laughs> self, we called our insecure self Agnes. No offense to any Agneses out there, but. <laughs> 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 but but in the book you've got some concrete tips some actual mm. things you can try to do to overcome yeah. that uh, yeah. tell us some of those things yeah I, and they sound a bit kind of airy fairy but they work because you know we're bombarded with negative em- images that make us feel bad about ourselves and I think it's really important to counter that so I'm really into affirmations you know, saying positive statements to yourself um, every morning. I believe in meditation. And I think particularly as we get older and our bodies change and, you know, we're sort of sitting there sort of looking at our lumps and bumps and thinking, oh, God, I don't look the way I did 20 years ago. I think it's important to to be naked in front of the mirror and just appreciate what you have. Um, So I I suggest women do that. And and men, actually, everybody do that once a week, because otherwise, you know, you're constantly sitting there thinking about all the things that you're not. Um, And I think you have to sort of counter that. And you also talk in the book about role models and the importance of role models. And it can't be kind of overstated how how vital that is for for anyone to see themselves represented. Oh, it can't be. And I think for any organization who wants to make sure that women do well within their company, that's something totally to look at. And then even for parents and and for for, for everybody, for for girls, boys, for, for all of those that are figuring out their identity, it's so important that we have images of positive images of whatever that identity group is so that people can see who they can be, even if they're not there yet. I talk about Diane von Furstenberg, who I know you've spent a lot of time with, um, who I've been lucky to spend time with as well, and I'm obsessed with her. And, And what she talks about was when she was a kid, her best friend's mother was a working woman. None of the mums that she knew worked. And she saw that woman and she thought, wow, I want to be like her. I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to be like that. And that's why it's so important to have role models. Yeah, because you don't know what you could yeah. do until you see someone doing it. Exactly, uh, exactly. Listen, I've got to ask you, the book, The Power of Women, so this is a, a new edition. Why did yeah. you choose to bring out the new edition now? Well, it was really because I think, you know, as I was getting, you know, we're talking about ageing, you know, I'm now in my 40s and there are so many things that I'm learning about my body in my 40s that I didn't have no idea about in my 20s and that we don't educate women about. Um, and so I really wanted to add a, a chapter about women's bodies and, and how we sort of 
create a world where actually we factor that in even into the work working hours because the way our working day has been configured is around male testosterone it's not around how our bodies work and so i really wanted to sort of explore that concept and then also you know without getting too too heavy this women's safety as well and so yep. that's really what the new chapters were about uh, Jenny in Gillingham has been in touch. Uh, Gillingham, she t- wants to say thank you for the power of privilege. Your other book. Mm, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was clear, concise, and full of helpful suggestions. Thank you so much, June. And thank Sarah, you. Sarah in Bristol says, "I love your books. What advice would you give to someone who is not being heard in the workplace? I've been working within my job for almost a year now, and I feel like a lot of my views are being looked down upon because I am a woman. And it's oh. that is such a difficult." things you don't want to be the the shouty person but sometimes you feel like you've got to well i think you also have to pick your battles and you have to find your male allies there are always going to be great men in the workplace that want to champion equality and i think it's about finding those allies and then going in as a group i don't believe in going in as a sort of lone voice and as you say graham be seen as that shouty person it doesn't work I think you need to go in as a collective. So find the people who get it and do it together. And an interesting thing to me, looking at the world, you know, because mm. as you said earlier, you know, we mustn't forget all the progress that has been made and lots of progress has been made. But you do feel like, particularly looking at America now, yeah. things seem to be going kind of backwards for women. Well, I think it's one of those things where, like anything, when change happens, there are steps forward and, and steps backwards. And I think that it's as we get used to whatever the new normal is going to be, of course, there will be some resistance. Um, and so for me, I'm still hopeful. I really do believe that actually if we look at the bigger picture, things are moving in the right direction. They're not moving fast enough. But they are moving in the right direction. And of course, there's going to be resistance. There always has been. Um, yeah. and, and we have to factor that in. I mean, you mentioned in the book, you, you mean that terrifying thing where 53% of white women in America didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is one of the things that actually we all have to look at is our idea of what leadership looks like, isn't it? And often we we have a sort of clear view of what we think a leader is. Even if you are a woman yourself, you might not necessarily think of another woman as a leader. And these are the things that we have to all challenge ourselves about. And I guess it's about going back to what you were talking about, about role models and having people Mm. to look up to and say, oh, that's that's what a leader looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And now you are so bubbly and positive. You are just kind of, you know, a ray of sunshine. It's June Sapong, everyone. Yay, we're in all in good mood. But presumably, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? But, but, but like, how do you... Uh, so I'm thinking of, you know, your job at the BBC, your creative yeah. diversity. You must have some stern meetings. Do you have Do you have a kind of, uh-oh, June's, in, <laughs> June's got something to say. Um, <laughs> is, there a diff- is there a different mode you switch well, on? Well, well, Graham, you're forgetting. I'm from Walthamstow. There's still a Walthamstow side to me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with the serpent. I can, darling, I can get E17 if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
I'm I'm frightened. I'm frightened. Uh, And I'm talking old E17, not the trendy new E17 now either. I'm talking original E17. (laughs) Uh, June, it's been lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. Uh, So good to talk to you, honey. The power of women is out now in ebook and paperback. And at some point, at some point, there will be a, a memoir, which you know, judging judging by some of the stories in this book, is going to be such a great book. Your memoir. Oh, uh, oh thank you. I adore you, Graham, and thank well, you so much for having well, th- me. That's a, that's officially me be being your cheerleader. So you get back to the laptop and uh, yeah. keep, keep typing. <laughs> My publisher will be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I look forward to seeing you in the flesh, dude. Take care of yourself. For sure. Big kiss, honey. All bye. right. Bye. 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 The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Hello, Jack. Hi, Graham. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm so well. All the better for talking to you. So, <laughs> Me uh, too. New album. New album. And it's a yeah. beautiful thing. Uh, your, p- your piano? Your piano. Your, pia- your piano. Nailed it. Got it. Uh, your, your piano, yeah. <laughs> it no, seems your to piano. Scare people. It seems- <laughs> I was waiting for that one. I was waiting. <laughs> you, were, you were the first. I was waiting for who was going to drop that one. <laughs> um, so, uh, the way I listened to it, the, the, they, yeah. I, I didn't get the physical album. They sent me, uh, you know, digital tracks on a, on, a, on a computer. And so, the way I listened to it, there was a, a few tracks that were, you know, beautiful, but sort of, you know, that's a Jack Severetti song. And then I th- and I and then no, but you know what I mean? They were gorgeous. Totally, totally, they were totally gorgeous. They were gorgeous yeah. with you and a band, you <laughs> and a piano. It was lovely. And then I think it was Dancing in the Living Room uh kicked in, and I thought, hello, this is different. <laughs> and it has that it has that lovely kind of Euro it's a kind of a it's a disco makes it sound cheesy and it's not. It's how do you describe that sound? You've, you've hit the nail on the head. So there's a lot of people confuse disco with like, when they hear European music, they say this is disco. But something happened when disco music, and the reason I also wanted to work with somebody like Nile Rogers was because he has a lot to answer for when it comes to this. He changed European music. When chic and disco music sort of went from the underground clubs of New York and Philadelphia and became mainstream in America, and then they crossed the ocean and, and collided with Europe and its tradition of songwriting, which was melodic, nostalgic, storytelling, you got this particularly European thing, which is definitely got the disco groove and the soul of disco music, but it's got the songwriting of European traditional songwriting over it, which is very, like I said, melodic, nostalgic, and storytelling. And I sort of realized nobody's really tapped into this sort of, nobody's really acknowledged this as a genre. Uh, it sometimes gets called Euro disco and all that, but there's so much more to it. And so I kind of came up with this word to describe it to myself and to my band, which was Europeana. And that was never supposed to be the title of the album. It was just this kind of genre that I had sort of acknowledged that I felt hadn't been acknowledged before and hasn't always had the respect I think it deserves. Um, even I've been snobbish towards it sometimes and I've just delved into the history of it and realize there's some really good music of this of this style which I call Europeana from the last 50 years in Europe. And what I love about your version of it is it's your voice changes it into something because I think with this style of music you're used to kind of either female voices or lighter male voices so to have your grit and kind of that that voice in there it oh it's lovely 
Thank you. Well, I mean, it, that goes back. Like, if you look at, if you listen to some 70s Saj Gansberg albums, some Julio Iglesias albums, I mean, the song, the singing is incredible and it's profound and it's deep and it's got this kind of, it's got a little bit of a fist to it. Like, it's strong. And I, I kind of really wanted to sort of revisit that because I think, why not? I think we all need a little bit of that right now. <laughs> so did, did Nile Rodgers do all the tracks on the album or he just produced some? No, no, no. He doesn't produce. He just came in as a guest to play guitar on Who's Oh, Who, okay. On, on, the, on that version from the record. That was the version from when we did Chris, uh, the, the Breakfast Show. Yeah. But on the album version, we've got Nile on it. And I reached out to Nile because I was working with Mark Ralph, who sort of suggested it because so many times in the studio I've said, let's put some Nile Rogers style guitar here. And I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned that. I've even attempted it myself and butchered it. But I was working with Mark Ralph, who said, why don't we just ask Nile? And so I really wanted to think about this before going to Nile. I didn't want him to just receive another song from another artist because he does collaborate with a lot of people. He, yeah. he, loves, he loves working. He loves playing music. And I explained to him this whole concept of Europeana. And his response was amazing because he moved to Italy when he suddenly started making it. He fell in love with an Italian girl, moved near between Rome and Tuscany sort of area. And, um, and he was telling me about exactly this, that when he heard disco music, when he heard his own band's music in the south of France or in the Amalfi Coast, he goes, he said, it just sounded different, man. And that's exactly what I'm trying to sort of show with this, that the, the aspiration behind the music does change the whole feeling of, and the sound of the music. Ah, oh, right, because I assumed, because I knew Nile Rodgers was a, a part of the album, so I assumed he'd been part of it, because that kind of sound is throughout yeah. the album, isn't it? It's beautiful. Totally, and like I said, he was the kind of guy that really brought it to Europe, yeah. that made it this thing where a lot of, he worked with so many European musicians, but I got John Oates on the album too, which is, Hall and Oates are one of my favorite, yeah. my all-time sort of, you know, after a few drinks, that's kind of my go-to playlist is Hall and Oates. And um, speaking of having a few too many drinks, it was one of those nights where I had done exactly that and like... 2.30. Actually, I have the original message on my Instagram and it was at 2.56 in the morning, to be precise. I drunk dialed John Oates and basically said uh, how much I loved him and would he ever want to work together. <laughs> and I, I woke up in the morning in a cold sweat and I actually said to my wife, I think I drunk dialed John Oates last night. And she sort of was like, oh, please don't tell me you did that. Anyway, I checked my messages and he was up for it. He was like, anytime, buddy, here's my phone number. <laughs> wow. He's <Yeah>. easy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's cheap date don't don't, don't cheap date but and we've actually he's been so sweet since and what was so adorable was that i was asking him to do backing vocals and we were talking because i love the harmonies of hall and oats and there's a particular song on the album that it's called when you're lonely which was very much inspired by yacht rock but as i call it yacht rock but the yacht is in the mediterranean and he sort of said hey man do you mind if i put some guitar down as well <laughs> and i was like man do whatever you want <laughs> play the triangle for all I like, care. Yeah, I don't know. You're you're a genius. Do whatever you got to do. Uh, well, listen. The album is gorgeous. Your piano. It's Thank it's, you, it's a Jack Savaretti album, but it's sort of it, yeah. People need to hear it. People need to hear it. Uh, Jack. People have been in touch. Kerry wants to know wants you to know that she's got tickets to see you on tour in Cardiff next year. All uh, right. Yeah. Because cool. this kicks <laughs> off in March, right? March twenty fourth. Yeah, God willing. Hopefully, I I can't wait. I mean, I, I mean, who knows? Um, I can't believe that it's going to be. I think the last kind of big show we did was in Wembley on 2019, November. Uh, wow. No, well, I think I think it was just before that. I forget the dates. It's I forgot the dates in general in the last few years. But yeah, it's going to have been about two years since we've stepped on stage, kind of as a band. And um, but. 
One, well, two things. One, I remember talking to you, interviewing you once, and I was whispering on about uh, how many toilets you were doing. And I saw your little face suddenly realising, oh, yes, I, that is very long, isn't it? Didn't realise so, I agreed to that. <laughs> yeah. So was it kind of nice to to get to sit at home and, and you know, now you're ready to go back on it, now you want to go back on it, rather than you feel like, here we go. Yeah, totally. And I'm very delicate with how I say this because I know it's a bittersweet pill for myself to f- swallow and my family. And I know that people have had such tough times these last two years. I mean, it's really been catastrophic in many cases. Um, but for me, it was something that I was kind of going to choose to do anyway. It had been, you know, 15 years solid kind of on the road. Yeah. And the last two years in particular, it had kind of finished with this amazing milestone of Wembley. We'd really been working the last three albums like mad. And I've two kids we moved to the countryside and i thought i'm just going to take some time so i was kind of planning to do this anyway but the fact that the whole world stopped at the same time gave this incredible sense of kind of just that that it was okay to do it that i i didn't have to i I wasn't being i wasn't missing something I, i i didn't feel guilty that i wasn't sort of turning up to something or working harder or pushing more you know and so it was really just this incredible time at home where i I think for a lot of people, I think this was the case, especially, you know, you rediscover yourself and you rediscover the people you love and the people you live with <laughs> as well. You're like, oh, yeah. that's why we are here. Like, yeah. like you sort of re-meet each other, leaving that identity you are on a day-to-day basis, leaving it at the door. And also, I think it, it redefines your relationship with work. You know, that it's not a chore, yeah. it's a privilege. You know, going out on tour now is a, is, a, is a real privilege for you that you get to do this thing that you were denied. Totally, that I totally will put my hands up and say I took it for granted. And I kind of realized that quite quick early on in lockdown. It was about week two. <laughs> and I realized, okay, I'm, re- I'm ready to go back to work now. <laughs> I found you, myself. <laughs> you I'm did, good to go back now. <laughs> you did do a gorgeous uh, concert in Italy. Was it in Positano or Positano or something like Portofino. that? Portofino, which is just a bit more north, which is like the area I'm from. That was incredible. That was to raise money for a hospital in Genoa, the city where my family's from. Can, and can, was people, one watch, of most- can people watch that anywhere? Because it was so beautiful. I mean, if you go, if you YouTube Jack Severi Portofino live, I'm sure there's a, there's a bunch of videos up there. There's no official video because the reason we made it so special and we wanted it to be special was we wanted it to feel as live as possible. So we yeah. really made it live we were like you can only what this is a once in a lifetime thing you're either here or you're not and i really wanted to do that because i felt like that was a way of sort of driving interest to it and also it was giving something that like that's exactly there was so many videos and content going up you know for myself as well that i think we all kind of crave that like i'm gonna see something that nobody else is gonna see i'm gonna yeah. i was there i was there do you know what i mean even 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 virtually like you could stream it but you could only stream it right then and there and it was so sweet because we got sent so many videos of people that did stream it and people got really dressed up for it like people really <laughs> made an effort um and had like dinner parties of course all like you know within rules um but it was people in la had like garden parties we got videos from like poland of people doing these amazing dinner parties everybody dressed like sort of la dolce vita Uh, it was really cool to see how the response was for it and fran is being in touch saying i absolutely love the new album but oh here we go Uh Uh, there's always a but (laughs) but if a deluxe edition comes out later Uh who do you include now i'm saying this wrong probably and Cora too, and Cora too, as he sings that beautifully. We love hearing him sing that live. 
Any plans I, I, to record that? I don't want to break it, but I think Ancora 2 is already out. I did an Italian version of that years ago. Um, and I'm pretty Friend. sure that's, I'm pretty sure you can get that on all music streaming platforms. <laughs> yeah, call, your, call yourself a fan, Fran. You know nothing. So, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Fran, but I think that's already out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get with the program. Uh, listen, but at least she, lo- she loves the album. She loves the album. Yes, Europeana, I that, friend. Yeah, Thank Europeana so is much. out now to buy or stream. I'll let you get back to your life. Good luck with the tour in the new year. Uh, Thank a pleasure you, as always, Jack Savaretti. Thank, Thank you, so you so much. Thank you so much for me too. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. On the way, crime writer Karen Slaughter shares with us her brand new thriller, False Witness. But now, David Williams has a brand new children's book up his sleeve, Mega Monster. And he's sharing stories about his previous children's books. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's lovely, lovely to speak to you. You always make me happy. Oh, and now are you okay? Because you were uh, were out in the boot last night, weren't you? I was. I went to the Dine and Disco that uh, your colleague, Chris Evans, organises because um, I was asked to introduce Elton John onto the stage and he did an incredible hour of uh, hits for... um, there are like 130 lucky people there and I, I got to see it as well from the side of the stage so I was very very happy because Elton actually hadn't performed for about 18 months um, since he was in Australia last year so it was his first show back and it was an absolute banger and oh. um, raised £2 million to the Elton John Aid Foundation so everyone should be very very happy and I keep hearing it described as a field I mean it wasn't just a field was it? No, there were things in the field, like people <laughs> and Elton John. No, it was like a it was like a sort of mini Glastonbury or something like that, I suppose, okay. without the mud and with only 130 very rich people. But other than that, <laughs> it was exactly like Glastonbury. <laughs> yes, if, if Glastonbury was bearable, it'd be like that, yeah. yes. Because yeah. uh, it is that thing of seeing him, you know, I think we've both been lucky to be at those, you know, uh, other charity events that he does, his, his own parties and things, and to see him up close like that is just incredible. I know, because it was just him and his piano, wasn't, you know, sometimes he's obviously with his band, if you go and see him on tour, he'd be with his band, but it was just him and the piano, and the, the sort of, I just couldn't believe that just all that sound was just coming out of one man and one instrument. And you go, my God, these songs. You just hear, it's like Benny and the Jets. You just go, where did, where did this come from? I know. It's an iconic song, but it's just so unlike anything else that I've ever heard. Um, yeah, I was totally in awe with him. And I got to, I got to fly there on his chopper. <gasps> my okay. goodness, David, aren't you lucky? <laughs> I know. We were in a bubble. We were in a bubble together, you see. Are you so, really? Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a starry bubble. I bet it is. <laughs> Just you, Elton, Lulu, and David French. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what a Lulu, it's got to be Lulu. <laughs> what a lovely bubble. Hey, enough bigging up other people. Let's big up you. Uh, yes, new book. him. Yes, new book, new book, Mega Monster, out now. And this is what, because your books are, you kind of arrange them in different bits, but this is uh, under your novel. Uh, this is a children's novel. Yeah, well, it was actually what we call a novella. It starts oh. off as a novella, um, which for anybody doesn't know, it's a short novel. Um, but it just got longer and longer and longer. I was writing it throughout lockdown. And a lot of people were saying to me, oh, you're going to write a, a children's book about lockdown? And I thought, well, no, that'd be pretty boring. I don't think any children <laughs> want to read that. So instead, I wanted to create a really fantastical story 
it's basically about a child who's sent to this school called the Cruel School, um, which is on a volcanic island uh, in the middle of a raging sea, um, which is infested by sharks. And on this island, in this terrible school, the science teacher is turning the children one by one into monsters. And there's this girl called Larka, who's the hero of the book, who has to kind of um, lead a revolution to overthrow the uh, the teachers there. So it, I had a lot of fun writing it. My son, who's eight, Alfred, he suggested the title because we talk a lot about like, ideas. And he said, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was a monster made up of all the different monsters in the world and it'd be called the Mega Monster. I thought, that's a great title. Now I just need to think of the story. He's already <laughs> asked for half the money. <laughs> He's quite can He's eight. Hey. Said, well, you'll get it when I die. Yes, you're going to uh, get all the money when he... <laughs> when Hang I on. die, don't you worry. You're going to be fine. But <laughs> until then, I'm going to be spending it. Um, I have to say, the, the, you, you and your team, or maybe it's just you, I don't know, but the, it is so good the way that the book is laid out. Because yes, it is a novel. Is you know, it, there's that a lot of reading. The there's a lot of reading. But your eye is just immediately drawn. You know, you have to turn the page. It's really cleverly yeah. done. Well, I want to... It, yeah, it's, as time has gone on, my books have been even more sort of imaginatively designed. And I, I couldn't be more thrilled. It just... I think with kids, it's like you're up against so much trying to get kids' imagination. And to my mind, the books need to be as visual as possible. And if kids are confronted by pages and pages of just text, I think a lot of kids are put off. And there's so many books now, super popular for kids like Captain Underpants, um, like would-be kid books, where there is a big emphasis on the illustration. So I want the books to be as fun as possible. And I, I mean, I know there's kids out there who are eight, have read all the Harry Potter books, who are you know, little geniuses, and you don't need to worry about them too much because they're already on their path to reading. But there's loads of kids who think books are boring, and I think, I just, I, I want to grab you. I want to make sure I get you into reading because that's that's important and if you don't read as a kid you don't read as a grown-up and you miss out on a lot because uh you know i'm not saying it's my books you miss out on but there's just so much you know books teach you know how to how to write to people properly how to describe things properly you know even if you're not gonna you don't want to read great works of 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 fiction um books give you such a grounding of information don't they knowledge and and you know, emotion and everything. There's so there's a yeah. world in books that you don't want to miss out on. And also in a, you know, in a time when we felt like everything was going to be taken away from us, uh, you know, books are such an amazing entertainment because you don't need electricity, you don't need the World Wide Web. It's just you and that thing and, and you get lost in that world. It's amazing. Yeah, and you paint the pictures in your head, which we kind of needed to do when we were in lockdown, didn't we? Because we didn't have a, a lot of entertainment. Um, I would phone my mum every day on on FaceTime, like, so I could see her. And it'd be like, what did you have for lunch? That tomato soup. And who was on the one show last night? And they were the only two <laughs> topics of conversation because we hadn't been doing anything at all. And that was all it was. Who was on the one show? I, yes, I had a I had a kind of a, a camera thing, one of those uh, Lexa or something to look at my see my mother. But it was like she was in witness protection. She was just sat in a kind of shadowy <laughs> a shadowy thing in the corner, <laughs> like like the like the um, the silhouette of Alfred Hitchcock at the beginning of Hitchcock Presents. My mum's got that thing on the iPad where it's just for some reason it's never the right way up. 
She's like, why are you upside down? It's like, I don't think, think I'm actually upside down. For some reason, it's never the right way up. But thank goodness for technology. And thank goodness that we managed to connect with each other in this time. Because I think otherwise it would have been very miserable. Certainly so many people on their own. Yeah, I mean, thank good, uh, thank goodness that you know we can we could talk to our mums in that way and see and see each other because it makes a big difference. People have been in touch. Children, children have been in touch. Ah. Uh, Isaac, uh, he's eleven. He lives in Manchester, and he wants to know if you could be any character from one of your books, which would you be and why? Oh, well, that's a good question. Either I would be Billionaire Boy from the book Billionaire Boy because Billionaire you Boy. You are has... Billionaire Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Millionaire Boy. And um, I, um, I, I, because he has a, um, he has a water slide going from his bedroom into a swimming pool down below. And I, I love water slides. And if I could wake up every day and go down a water slide, I'd be very, very happy. So that's who I'd be, Isaac. Good question. That does sound lovely, doesn't it? You, why don't you? Do it, what do, do it. I know, I know. Well, I'll, I'll ask Elton to get tip for me for my birthday. <laughs> um, actually, Chrissy in Stockport has asked me, just wondering, uh, David, how did you get into writing children's novels? I've always wondered. Because the boy was the boy in the dress your first one? The boy in the dress was the first one. I just had an idea for a story. I thought, what would happen if a boy... Um, went to school dressed as a girl and and that was like 13 years ago I wrote that 2008 it came out and um, and I suppose I thought well it's a story about uh, a child you know maybe this would would be a good book for children and I'd always enjoyed reading children's books as a grown-up you know because there's lots of ones you miss you know you think oh I know Alice in Wonderland you go well no you've just seen a you know Disney film of it you've not really read it and so I started reading lots again of children's books and in my 30s, and I was thinking, actually, you know, why don't I have a go at writing one? I didn't know I'd, you know, be doing it for like a decade. And, and now be... I yes. have people come up to me and say, I used to read your books when I was little. I mean, imagine how old that makes me feel. I, well, I thought I just started doing this. No, and wait, I've been doing it for so long <laughs> that pe- people have grown out of them. <laughs> Um, and now, you know, because it t- it's taken off in such an extraordinary way, how do you kind of shape your year? Are you quite strict with yourself and say, right, I'm going to take this time off or, you know, I'm going to write at this time or are you more yeah, kind of free form? I, I mean, I, I spend most of my time writing. I mean, people see you on television. I mean, it's something like Britain's Got Talent, which we're actually we're not even doing this year. But I mean, that is just, I think, it's like 20 days of my life a year, um, which isn't very many. So most of the other time, unless I'm acting in something or doing something else, I'm writing. And and the good thing about writing is you can do it anytime, anywhere. And I'm quite happy to do it, you know, seven days a week because I enjoy it. So I don't really feel like, um, you know, it, it, I'm very lucky because people say, have you got a hobby? And I think, well, I don't really need a hobby. My job is my hobby. I love being creative. I love dreaming up funny characters and situations so so i just kind of do it all the time um until the deadline looms oh. and then you're sort of working till four in the morning in tears um so i never got right another book i'm never gonna do it again <laughs> and, and how does it work because the book isn't what you you know you write your book and you hand it in how long does it take then to turn into the book we hold in our hands with all the, um, the different typography and the, the not, little illustrations? Not that long, actually. Like, probably about two or three months. Oh, OK. The, oh, wow. The, the, yeah, I mean, it's, they move quite quickly because I'm all, I always deliver my books a bit late. I always think I'm going to, 
you know, I'll have it done by Christmas. And then June, they think, yeah, sorry, when, when are we getting this? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it always takes a bit long, but it's, but there's a brilliant team of people, Tony Ross illustrator and a brilliant team of HarperCollins who put the books together. So um, they do all of that afterwards. I get to sort of look at it and say yes, but I mean, there's never anything needs to change because they're so brilliant at what they do. Um, um, oh. Go ahead, yes. I've no. not got anything more interesting to well, say. Well, 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 you'll thank me because I was going to say what's great is that then these characters have books, but then they have another life. So Billionaire Boy is coming into the West End again. At the Garrick Theatre. Yes, it's it's a great touring show by the Birmingham Stage Company. We also did Gangster Granny. And um, it's coming into London for the summer. So if you are around London and uh, you've got a family and you want something to do on a rainy afternoon, um, please come and see, see, see the show. It's really good fun. I've obviously seen it quite a few times because it's been touring before. And I'm just delighted for the all the people who work on the show, the actors, um, yeah. all the people who work backstage, because, I mean, it's been so tough for people in uh, theatre. You know, so many of my friends are actors and uh, comedians and stuff. And I felt very lucky being able to write books because most people haven't worked at all. Jimmy Carr actually said to me, I haven't earned a pound all year. I didn't feel that sympathetic, but um, <laughs> I did think, yeah, I'm quite lucky I've got my books um, because it's been so, so difficult for most people. So I'm delighted for the actors because, you know, they should have been doing it throughout the whole of this last year. Um, and I think people are just delighted to get back into the theatre, aren't they? I've seen a couple of things already. Yeah, no, and, me too. And have that communal experience. Like last night seeing Elton, it's like, oh, gosh, a concert and people having fun and singing along to the to the words and everything. It's like, oh, we just need that, don't we? We, we are communal creatures, aren't we? We like, you know, all being together, living in big cities together and all that kind of stuff. And it's like... You know, let's not all just sit at home on Zoom for the rest of our lives. Let's, you know, get out there when we can, when it's safe, and be together again. Yes, as grumpy and snarky as I can be, I, I mean, I say it is lovely <laughs> to be out Yeah, again it's and important, kind of, isn't it? And yeah. just hearing, like, laughter and stuff like that. And, and I, I, I mean, I last night, because I had to introduce Elton, it was like the first time I think I'd been on the stage. It was like a small number of people there, but, but it was like, oh, great, yeah, actually... Oh, I'm, I do. Oh, I do this for a living as well. Do I? I walk on stage and t- tell a few jokes. Okay, great. It was. It was really. It was a really, really lovely feeling for everybody. Uh, well, listen. Thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Uh, Mega Monster is out now. David Williams, a joy as always. You Take care of yourself. You are a joy and a treasure, and um, it's always a pleasure to to speak to you, Graham. Thanks so much for having me on the show. All right, take care of yourself, David. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Hello, Karen. Hello. Hi, where in the world is Karen Slaughter? Atlanta, Georgia, where it's already uh, about 80 degrees, so that's subtropical for you guys, I guess. And that's all, That's like the surface of the sun for us guys. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> you burst into flames. Uh, so it's early in the morning for you. Thank you very much for getting up and, and doing this. Or are you an early bird? Are you up and at Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of disappointing as an author. I don't drink or smoke. I get up early. Yeah. <laughs> All those things. And that's why you've written 21 books and they've sold millions <laughs> of copies. Well, there you Actually, do you know what? That is why. What it is, is, and I, I, I love this book because it's so, it's written in such a kind of confident, assured way. As a reader, you just know it's going to be good. Were you that confident from the get-go? Did you know, I know how to do this? I know how to tell a story? 
Well, yes and no. I mean, it's it's like with you, I suppose, because you write as well and, you know, you do a lot of stuff that's public facing. So there's a confidence that tells you I've done this before, but also a little bit of can I do this again and how did I do it last time and why am I doing this and will anybody read it? I mean, you wouldn't be an artist without that kind of crap in your head, I suppose. But I, <laughs> I did uh, I did feel good about this story. I love the characters. And that's one, you know, if you're going to spend a year writing a book, you really need to love the characters. And they are, because they're all quite nuanced and flawed and, you know, there are no straightforward heroes in this book. Uh, False Witness is the name of the book. It begins with a kind of flashback to a really violent uh, incident. Uh, how much can you tell us about it? How do you, uh, What do you want to tease us with? Gosh, you know, it's really hard to talk about because there's some shocking things in that first part. But I suppose at its core, it's about two sisters who deal with a very large life-altering trauma early in their lives. And then we catch up with them 20 years later and see the fallout of that trauma and how it shaped them as adults. And in terms of the the book, the book, it's the first book I think I've read that is entirely set in in covid times um you began writing i think just at the start of kind of all of this um was it did you immediately think right i'm going to do this or did as it went on did you think oh i better incorporate some masks you know i i knew from the beginning because i started it right during the lock the first lockdown um and and i say first lockdown because you know there was one one big lockdown and then everybody did their own thing Um, But it really had to be a choice. You had to be all in on it. And I thought, I really want to capture the craziness of our lives and things that history books won't really tell us. You know, you're not going to read in a textbook about the distilleries dumping out all their alcohol and making hand sanitizer because it was more precious than gold. And everybody smelled like tequila and rum for a really long time. So, <laughs> I, you know, it was like a prom. Uh, so I wanted to uh, to put that kind of thing into the book. But it's not about the pandemic. It just takes place during the pandemic. Yeah, I thought you did it really well because it's not like it, it, it's there, but it doesn't it doesn't dominate the book in any way. I liked all the little things about, you know, the, the, the way different people wear their masks differently and badly. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's infuriating. And I, I told a friend of mine, it's like trying to get a man to wear a condom to get him to wear a mask above his nose. It's insane. Because <laughs> uh, uh, where are you now in, in Atlanta? What sort of, what, what bit of uh, the, uh, is, is it kind of going away there? Is it spiking again? What's it like? Well, we're in a a blue spot here in a sea of red and Atlanta and the metro areas. We've got the CDC. We've got a a bunch of Coca-Cola headquarters. We've got a lot of international people, scientists, highly educated people. We've got five historically black colleges and a robust African-American middle class. So we don't have a lot of stupid people in the city. Um, But if you get further out, you see some people who are not doing what they're supposed to do uh, and, you know, not getting the vaccine and just insisting it's still a flu and it's going to go away. And usually they're the ones who end up in the hospital. So that's great because our tax dollars at work. God, it is like now entering the stupid zone as you drive as you drive out of the city. But at least you're in the blue bit. That's all good. And it must be frustrating for you because, you know, to launch a book like this for you must be so alien because I imagine you like getting out there. You like doing book tours. You like meeting readers. 
I do. And I didn't realize how much I would miss it until it was gone. Um, because, you know, travel is not great for anybody. So being on airplanes and in airports and in the back of cars is not something I enjoy. But, you know, I started thinking about the people who've been coming to my events from the very beginning and hoping they're okay and wondering what was going on. And so I'm really looking forward to getting back out there in a way that I never thought I would. Um, I was struck, this book, I mean, you don't shy away from, from violence in this book. And again, is that something that you've kind of grown in confidence with or in confidence with how the reader will think, you know, at events, do people come up and go, oh, it's too gory or do they like the gore? How, do, how does that work? You know, I it, some do and, and, and they come up to me and they say, oh, more gore. And, you know, that's really not the, usually it's an older woman in, with a walker and I think, I want to really know your story, lady. Um, but... For me, the really hard part about writing those passages is what it leaves behind, because that's really been my focus from the very beginning with my first book, Blindside, is, you know, this this is the kind of crime that happens everywhere. Some some of these crimes, every minute of a day, a woman is being harassed or abused or whatever. And I'm really mindful that I'm telling their story. So I don't want it to be titillating. Of course, it's shocking, but I want to show readers that this happens, this is how people recover from it or don't. And, you know, Lee and Callie are a perfect way to talk about that differential because Lee becomes very successful. She's a lawyer. She goes to Northwestern, which is one of our Ivy League type law schools. And then Callie disappears into a heroin addiction. And for me, that was a way to show one is more socially acceptable, but they're both still very damaged by this trauma. And I, I should have Googled this. This is pathetic that I'm asking you on the radio. But is Karen Slaughter your real name? It is, yes. <laughs> uh, and I paid for it as a child. No little girl wants the last name Slaughter. So I feel like I've come into it finally. <laughs> you've really, you've really, you've made it pay its way. You've done, exactly. you've done very well. Um, <laughs> and very quickly, we've had a few texts in from people, uh, Alien and Clapham and Jake Southampton asking about uh, pieces of her which was a hugely successful novel and it's now it's a bit, you know you put all this work into writing books and then it's going to be on tv and people are like, oh tell us about it but tell us yeah. about it <laughs> when when's it when's it going to be actually on netflix you know i have no idea um that's oh, something okay. that netflix just kind of looks at and they do their Svengali sort of thing and figure out the best time which is great because i want it out at the best time they just wrapped filming in australia Uh, which is, you know, they moved to Australia. Netflix and the producers knew how to get things done there during a pandemic. And, of course, Toni Collette is starring. So that's her hometown, as it were. Yeah, Yeah. she's amazing. I've been getting pictures and things from the set, and it's really surreal. But I think it'll be real to me when they come in July to film in Georgia, which, if you know anything about the South, people are just going to melt into the pavement. It's going to be so hot on the coast. Uh, But I haven't told them that. I'll let them figure it out when they get here and they burst into flames or a mosquito (laughs) carries them off. Um, But, you know, that's the part I'm going to see. I'm looking forward to it. And have you been involved along the way? Did you do the adaptation? No, I'm not very collaborative. And and you might be able to relate to this. I did take a, a try at writing a script and someone gave me a note from Trevor <laughs> saying, uh, 
Trevor thinks that this needs a little more tension. And I said, who's Trevor? And this is so Hollywood. They said, oh, Tre- he's such an old soul. He's an intern who's in high school, but he really knows story. And I was like, screw Trevor. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to. Let, let me know when he get his his hair's developed, you know? He's probably running a studio now. But that was yeah. my lesson that I can't collaborate very well with other people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, and that is the joy. You know, you enjoy being alone in that book and creating these worlds. So I guess stick to that and, and you know, and cross your fingers and hope that, I mean, it sounds like you're in safe hands with Tony Collette. I think you. I, yeah, absolutely. And the producer's done um, Gone Girl and Wild and Big Little Lies. And she's really invested in making sure the author's vision is there. And they have included me. I've read the scripts. I've talked to the writers i mean they have been very collaborative with me in a way that lets me give my opinion without having to do any work which is the best kind of thing to do <laughs> uh, listen karen i look forward to the world opening up and we can uh, chat in the flesh uh, with your next book false witness right now is out in shops and online thank you so much for joining us karen slaughter thank you Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.